Amen. All right. Okay, did, did our young kids get dismissed? Somebody said no. After the sermon? <laughs> All right, so ages three through first grade, if you haven't already uh, rescued yourself, then now's the time to do so. Okay, so they did, they did go down. All right, sorry. Um, so Molly and uh, some of the ladies are at uh, Life Action Camp today, so uh, the age range is a little bit different than normal. Uh, our older kids are going to stay and enjoy what they've been missing for you know, so long. And I wanted to just have you kind of look around for a minute because um, one of the things that we're noticing is that there are a lot of people that um, don't know each other. And um, in our church, as we grow and as new people come and as, as we kind of you know, begin to build some relationships, um, it's hard for us to remember that uh, some people don't know each other. And I want to encourage you that if you are new um, or if you're, you, you've been in the church a while and you're looking around and you're seeing some faces you don't know, um, just take a moment and you know, introduce yourself to somebody or you know, say, hey, I don't know if I've met you. And they, that person may have been coming to the church for a year and you just haven't seen them or haven't gotten to know them or haven't met them. Um, but uh, part of our you know, church body um, is always going to be kind of in that, that mode of getting to know each other. We're always going to be doing that. Um, and this morning at the 8 o'clock uh, service, um, I mentioned and prayed for Mike Sponsler. Not everybody knows Mike. Um, they, they tend to go to the 8 o'clock service. Um, but uh, Mike had cancer a couple years ago, went through chemo, and uh, by God's grace and power, uh, the, the wonderful working of chemotherapy and medical advancements, um, they uh, eliminated that cancer from his body. Praise the Lord. Um, well, the cancer has come back, um, and so he's going to begin treatments tomorrow. And uh, I wanted to just pause for a minute, pray for Mike, and I know there's family here that, uh, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our church family, and people don't always know what's going on. I want to lift up Mike. I want to lift up Ron Moffitt, um, his mom, Marty, went to be with the Lord. Uh, yesterday. She hasn't uh, been in church for a while, uh, pre-COVID. Um, she was 98 years old, knew the Lord, so we're praising God. She's in heaven, um, but her family is grieving and want to lift them up. Um, and there's so many more concerns I know that we all have, and uh, we could talk all day long. I could spend the rest of our time together just talking about the concerns and the issues and the prayers that we need to be lifting up, but that's why we do encourage you to, to fill out those prayer cards, put them in the, the box outside or hand them to Pam or put them in the offering box, where, whatever you can do uh, so we can be praying for you along those lines. Whatever God is bringing into your life or that you don't know where it's coming from and you need God's help in your life, we, we want to partner with you in prayer, okay? But let's just pause for a minute and pray and then we'll jump into the message here. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that uh, we have um, power, Lord, that we have assurance, that we have peace, that we have uh, joy, we have confidence, that we know that we can come to the throne of grace boldly because of Jesus. We thank you that uh, we have um, a family, <laughs> a church body um, around us, Lord, to help us through difficult times. We have your presence and power, Lord, that helps us through everything. Um, and so we're lifting up some brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that um, need your healing. They need your protection. They need your peace. They need your guidance. Uh, they need um, just a new word of encouragement, Lord, on their hearts. And, and we pray for your, your blessing on them. Pray for Mike. Pray for your spirit to work through the treatments that he's going to begin tomorrow. Pray for uh, your, your grace just to give him 
um, peace in his family, Lord, as they walk with him through this, and in our church family as we walk through this together. We pray for Ron and, and uh, Sharon and Rhonda and, and all the grandkids, Lord, Scott. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in them. Lord, as they celebrate a life, as they say goodbye and, and grieve a loss, Lord, we just pray your Spirit would um, bless them through this time. And Lord, we pray for her church uh, as we grow and, and learn how to live together and in this new relationship um, with new people, with people who've been around for a long time. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would bond us together in our common faith in Jesus. Help us to follow after you closely. And uh, Lord, help us to continue to proclaim the gospel boldly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, last week, if you were here, not here, I'll just give you a quick recap. We were in the Great Commission, Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, and what this is is not the last words of Jesus, okay? He's in Galilee, and so if he's in Galilee during his 40 days that he was on the earth after he was raised, before he ascended into heaven, that means it's not his last words, because where did he ascend to heaven from? Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. Mount of Olives is like a hill. It's not really a mountain, but it's, Hill of Olives doesn't sound very good. So thank you, John, for kind of chuckling at that. So Mount of Olives is right outside of Jerusalem, right across the Kidron Valley. At the bottom of it is Gethsemane, okay? And that's where Jesus had his final uh, evening of prayer before he was uh, come and arrested and then taken off and then uh, finally crucified. But that's where he ascends into heaven. That's where he gives his last words. When he's in Galilee, he gives his great commission. His great commission is that this is what the church is to be about and for, to go into the world and baptize and make disciples. Now, the command there, anybody catch the command, is not to go. Okay, that, that word is not a command. That word is basically as you go, or wherever you go, or wherever you happen to be, okay? Wherever you go, make disciples. So the command in that, that we're commissioned to be part of as the church is to make disciples. So in this um, series, what we're doing is we're trying to dig into what does it mean to be disciples and make disciples? What does that mean? What does it look like? What are, what are you and I as Christians, uh, what do we need to be doing? What do we need to be thinking? How do we need to be living? How, what do we need to be understanding? Okay, we're going to dig into that. And the very next thing, though, as we look at the final words of Jesus, is that he says, you can't do this on your own. Okay, you can't do this in your own power. You can't do this by your own strength. This isn't something that you can just accomplish because you're really motivated to do this. He says, you need power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he says in Matthew is, I commission you. But then in, in Acts, he says, wait. Hold on, because you, you need something that you don't yet quite have. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I love talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I hope that you love to hear about the Holy Spirit, because He's the one that lives in you, the one that you relate to most closely. Okay, We, we have a personal connection with God because the Holy Spirit, within our spirit, calls out to God and confesses that we are His children. We should never be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. So let's look at uh, what Acts says as Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And I want to tell you that if you don't already have a Bible handy, um, you might want to get one. We're going to be uh, looking at a lot of different Scripture this morning. Uh, bring it up on your phone if you have the Bible on your phone. That's a, a good, easy way to uh, navigate around several Scriptures. But we're going to start and be anchored on Acts 1. Here's what it says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So his first book is, anybody? The Gospel of Luke. One person knew that. That's alarming. Okay. 
until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Father, we pray that we are your witnesses, Lord, as we have um, this wonderful gift, the power of the Holy Spirit. We claim that power, Lord, today. We, we announce and, and uh, confess that through faith in Jesus that we have been transformed by that, uh, that wonderful faith, but also by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit that has somehow mixed with our spirit, confesses with our spirit, witnesses with our spirit that we are now new creatures in Christ. We're different. We've been transformed. We, we see that you see us differently. Uh, we have a different view of the world. We have a, a better grasp and understanding of your word. We have an understanding of what our purpose is, Lord, because you have revealed it. You have shown us who we are, what our destiny is, Lord, that our future uh, is certain, that we will one day inevitably um, find ourselves in your presence in heaven. And for the meantime, uh, we've been given a, a challenge, a commission, a purpose to help other people to see Christ, to know him, to respond to him, Lord. We pray that we would do that to the utmost, but not by ourselves. Lord, would you go with us? Would you go before us and behind us and all around us? Would you speak through us somehow as we seek to simply point to you? And we will give you all the praise, God, because you're doing all the work and we're simply um, partners with you in that. Father, thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So I want to point out there are three different times in Acts 1, 1 through 8, where it is specifically mentioned that the Holy Spirit is referenced, okay? And the first one is verse 2. It says, until the day when he was taken up. So this is just Luke kind of giving us a little bit of a background um, of what's going on in the context. He says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so what's happening is that Luke is referring to all that Jesus had done, all that he had taught, and all the instructions he had given to his apostles. And he's referencing the reality that the Holy Spirit does a work prior to conversion. Okay, did you get that? Now, we're 2,000 years after this event. We know that the Holy Spirit's been poured out. He was poured out on the earth uh, at Pentecost. During Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit was still actively at work. Maybe not as powerfully or manifestly or as much, as broadly as he will be, but he was still working. And here's what we're going to discover. The role of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives before they even come to confess or believe in Jesus Christ is really, really important. Because without the, the work of the Holy Spirit, you can't even get to the, the point where you can claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is, to me, really, really encouraging. Because what it means is that God is always at work. And this is what Hebrews tells us. God is always at his work. Jesus, Jesus confesses this as well. God is always moving. He's always working. He's always moving in people's lives, drawing them to himself, revealing who he is. And we have a relationship with God through that. Now, some people refuse to take that next step, which will put them into what we say is a salvation or redeemed relationship with God. They, they somehow resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, Jesus is teaching that there will be 
a power that is going to be poured out, that power is available to everybody right now. So looking around, I know we got people watching, listening online. No matter where you are, whether you're a firm believer, whether you're confirmed in your faith, whether you're confident in your salvation, or if you're maybe backslidden, we don't like that term too much, but it is a biblical term that there are people who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and yet are caught in sin to a degree that they're not hearing from God anymore. Anybody like that here? Raise your hand. Okay, no? So then we have people that don't know the Lord at all. Maybe this is the first time they've ever even heard about God or Jesus or salvation or the Holy Spirit or the Bible or anything. Here's the amazing thing is that the Holy Spirit is at work actively able to receive or to help you to understand who he is. So John 14 is where we're going to see Jesus' most specific teaching about the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, John 14, verse 16. And I'm going to be through uh, John 14, 15, and 16. So if you have your Bible, you want to kind of look at those passages with me, uh, please do that. Here's what it says. Jesus says uh, in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the father, he will give you another. So here's what's interesting. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. There's an, there's an initial hearing of the gospel that, that Jesus actually does care about you and here's his truth and here's, here's what he desires for you. You can actually, in your own flesh, you can kind of respond to that by faith and then God's going to meet you there and he says, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is going to begin to give you an understanding of the truth of God's word. And here's, here's what I'm saying, is that there are people here today, there are people who are listening or who may listen sometime in the future, who will hear God's word and not be saved, and yet the Holy Spirit can take the word of God and begin to do a work in your heart to allow you to come to a place of salvation. Amen? That's an awesome thing. It says over in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you to know and understand not only Jesus' teaching, but all of God's Word. Now, if you, let's say you don't have the Holy Spirit, and you as a person who's just kind of seeking out truth, you can open this book, you can read it, you can read it from cover to cover. And uh, you can understand certain aspects of it. There's stories in here. You can, you can read Proverbs and get some moral teaching. You can read you know, the commands and see that you know, God desires us to live a certain way. You could, you could claim that you know, you're reading this book and you're kind of understanding it. But until the Holy Spirit gives you a particular awareness, that head knowledge will not become heart knowledge, and it won't be transformative, okay? Something has to happen where the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, and He begins to sink it down into your heart and to create something different in you. And how that happens, we'll see in a minute, but it is a process of agreeing with the Holy Spirit. When, okay, this is John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So who's the Holy Spirit um, confessing or, or witnessing about or telling us about or pointing to? Jesus. Okay, he's pointing to Jesus. He's always making us aware of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has taught, the, the reality of his sacrificial death, the reality of the, the point that he is the Messiah of the Old Testament and that he is our Savior. Okay, he's always going to point to Jesus. 
uh, chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to ascend. We just saw that in Acts chapter 1. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those are the three things that the Holy Spirit is most actively doing in a believer's heart. Once you come to faith in Jesus, he's going to convict you concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, how that works is this. In order for me to be saved, I have to know that I'm lost. This is a a teaching that the world does not like anymore. Uh, We are offended by this idea that, that people are sinners, that people do wrong things, that they have wrong behaviors, that they have wrong mindsets, that they have wrong lifestyles, that they're, they're somehow, that, that whole message is kind of being pushed aside. Would you agree? Like sinners, really? Like you're still using that term? Isn't that kind of outdated? And like we, we want to call people seekers. And I don't know what the new terms are anymore. I'm getting old enough, I'm not keeping up with what is actually happening in, in our day. So um, I'll have to talk to some teenagers and get their new terminology. There, people come up with all kinds of stuff. I'm like, is, that's a term? What does that even mean? Okay, so anyway, here's what's going on. Sin has to be revealed. I have to know that there's something wrong in me that keeps me separated from God. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. As a believer, what happens is, as I go through my walk with the Lord, I'm still being convicted of sin because God is showing me that my fellowship with, with him is not correct. It's not close. There's something dividing us. So I'm still being convicted of sin. And the, the weight of that conviction compels me to seek forgiveness. Now, the Holy Spirit's activity ahead of conversion is that there's a recognition that something's wrong, generally speaking. Something's not right. And most people feel this in their heart. And what we tend to do is we want to excuse it. We want to ignore it. We want to medicate it. We want to do something with it. But most people feel like something is wrong. Most people feel like something is wrong. They just don't know what it is or how to get a handle on it. So he's going to convict the world concerning sin. He's going to convict the world concerning righteousness, which means this, that when you do receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, he is your righteousness, right? He makes you right with God, and he reminds you that you are right with God. He continues to help you to have that sense and that feeling and that confirmation in your heart that I'm right with God, not because I'm good, but because Jesus has paid the price for me. And he convicts the world concerning judgment because who is the one who is judged? Who is the one who is judged? The, you remember the old skit from SNL, the church lady? Those who know, know. Could it be Satan? So here's the deal. Like half of you got that, and the other half were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The Holy Spirit is our helper. That's the word that we see there, or comforter. How many of your versions say comforter? Anybody have that, that translation? Mary Lee does. I want you to um, understand that that is okay. It's fine. Comforter, helper, either way. Um, but there's something that's very interesting that you need to see, okay? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Everything that I just read was in the Gospel of John. All those, those terms for the Holy Spirit of helper and comforter, you only see that in John. The, the word is uh, advocate, or the word in Greek um, is paraclete, a paraclete. How many of you have heard that the Holy Spirit is the, the paraclete? Okay, so what that is is a Greek term, and it means the one who comes alongside of you, one who's called to come alongside of you. Um, and so we can translate that comforter, we can translate it helper, um, but we oftentimes think of the Holy Spirit is the 
advocate. He is the comforter. Well, this is what First John says. And why I'm referencing this is because John is the only one who uses that term for the Holy Spirit. No other biblical writers use it, only John. When he uses it in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2, he says, My little children, I'm writing you these things to you so that you may not sin. Isn't that an interesting teaching? That you might be able to not sin? We don't teach that anymore. We don't tell people they, they might avoid sin. Just food for thought. Okay. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Anybody in your Bible right now? Who does he mention by name? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's what the Bible specifically teaches, is that Jesus Christ is the advocate. Okay, these are legal terms. What this means is it's a courtroom setting. God is the judge. You are on trial. Jesus is your defense attorney. You in pretty good shape? He's your defense attorney. Who is your prosecuting attorney? The adversary, the accuser, is the devil. He's seeking to make you guilty. Now, here's the thing. Does Satan have a pretty good case on you? Are you guilty? Absolutely. What does Jesus do? See, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, it doesn't say that you're not guilty. It says that Jesus Christ is your advocate, and he says that he is the righteous. And then in verse 2, it says that he's the propitiation for your sin. That's a big theological word. What it means is that God has cleansed your sin because he paid for it on the cross, and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross, which means that the, the price for your sin, your guilt, has been completely paid. 100%. Jesus took it on himself. He is standing in court before the judge, the father, and he says, your honor, my client is guilty. Guilty of sin. Okay, that's kind of funny. I thought that was kind of funny. And I'm going to take their place. I will pay their price. I'll go to jail for them. I will pay the, the death sentence that they rightly deserve. What does the adversary have to, to say to that? What, is, what can Satan do or say about that? Nothing. So here you are. You are, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are completely cleansed, forgiven, and then you are set free. You are justified. That's the biblical term or the theological term, justified. And you think about that as just if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. I'm completely cleansed because of what Jesus did for me. That's what that means. He's the advocate. What it, what it means when he says he's the advocate is that he is on your side. He defends you. He will fight for you. And then he says, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to send one who will also be, if you go back and look, then you, what you'll see in those passages is that I'm going to send another another who will also be your helper. So the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He is the advocate for you. Jesus is the first advocate. And what happens in this pairing is that the Holy Spirit in you reminds you of the things that Jesus has done for you. And that's a constant relationship. When you step into salvation through faith, okay, the Holy Spirit comes in you to remind you about sin past that I needed to be forgiven for. It reminds me of righteousness current that when God sees me, he sees his son in me. And it reminds me of the devil's future, that he is judged. He's already judged, but someday he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. The war's won. And here I am before the Lord with confidence. Right? What does it say? It says, you can go boldly before the throne of grace. Because my sin's been taken care of. The only thing that I have to be concerned about is my sin. And if my sin is paid for, if my sin is cleansed, if, my, if I'm redeemed, then I don't, I don't have anything else to worry about. Right? Can we close in prayer right now? Is that Okay.
Well, here's the deal. You knew there was part two, didn't you? You have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you begin, the Holy Spirit's working in your life, even prior to conversion. He's making you aware of the, the teachings of Jesus. He's making you aware of the reality of who Jesus is. He's making you aware of the reality of the teaching of Scripture and God's holiness and all those things and your sin. And, okay, he's, he's beginning to make you aware, but you have to at some point say, yes, I agree, and I'm going to step into this by faith. And so uh, I have a slide, if I could have you put that up there. I'm going to go through these passages really quickly, okay? But I wanted you to have it. If you want to write these down for your own reference later, um, then you're welcome to do that. Uh, so if we're in our Bibles, we're in John chapter 3, verse 5, and it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is the entrance into the relationship with the Lord. You were born by water, which means you're born natural. Everybody was born naturally, amen, right? Were you born naturally? Anybody born unnaturally? Okay, so we're all born naturally. And then he says, the reality of your natural birth is that you were born a sinner. That means that you need and you have to be born again, reborn spiritually, and you're reborn in the spirit. You're reborn according to the spirit so that you can see the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 9 confirms. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if you're born again. Okay, here's, do you understand there's no such thing as a, a Christian who is not also born again? Like, if you talk about born again Christians on one hand and other kinds of Christians on the other hand, guess what? They're not Christians, <laughs> okay? They're either born again Christians or they're not Christians at all. Okay, you're either born again or you're not born again. That's it. It says, if you're not born in the flesh but in the Spirit, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So I need to confirm this because Christians sometimes don't always understand the power of discipleship is this, this, this reality. If you are a believer, then you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's a biblical teaching about what it means to be saved. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That means that you're in Christ, He's in you, and that Holy Spirit is doing some work to confirm the reality of sin in your life, to convict you about it, to confirm your new nature in Christ, to give you confidence that you're right with the Lord. Those two things are kind of working in tandem, though. Because sometimes you feel bad about sin that you've committed because it does push you into this, this area where you don't feel close to God. Even though you're still saved, even still you're going to go to heaven, but you feel like you're disconnected. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit to remind you to come back into this relationship. You have to engage with the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.32 says, We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, lest you be confused by this, that does not mean that you perfectly obey God in order to earn your salvation. does not mean that, okay? Do you understand that? Did I say that too fast? You cannot earn your salvation by being good enough right? But you do have to initiate the relationship. God has initiated. You have to respond to the relationship by saying yes to God. At some point, you have to step in and say, yes, I'm going to obey the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for me. And so he's, he's my savior and he's my Lord. And I'm going to step into that relationship by receiving him and opening my heart to him, and what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come in, and he's going to change me from the inside out, okay? Those who obey him, obey the gospel. Luke eleven thirteen. if you then who are evil, Jesus is teaching this, and he says to all these people, and they all understood it, you guys are evil, and they were not offended by that. Isn't that cool? 
If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And here's something that I think every Christian needs to understand. How often should you ask for the Holy Spirit? Give me, an, give me a number. I heard hourly, all the time. You guys are tracking with me. Okay. Now, if you hadn't been listening to this sermon and I'd asked that, then what would you say? One time, a couple times, really when I need it. Like, and here's all I want to say is that the invitation for the Holy Spirit to give you strength and power, encouragement, conviction, um, His presence, um, His leading, okay, all those things. How often do you need that? How often do you need it? When do you not need it? At what moment can you say, I got this, God. You stay there. I'll do this. I don't need you right now. And even though I'm saying that, and in a very uh, sarcastic kind of way, many of us do that. We do it all the time. I'm going to go to work today, God. Uh, would you bless me? And then I'm going to go and I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go into this relationship, Lord. Um, you know, it'd be nice if you blessed it, but then in, within the relationship, it's all about me. I'm going to do things my way, God. And then when we get into trouble, we're like, God, would you please rescue me? But what we're seeing here is that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us all the time, give us leading, give us help, give us strength all the time. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit means live by the Spirit. It means constantly, um, every day, every moment of every day, that you're just, look, this sounds hard, like, oh, i got to stop and pray every moment to ask the Holy yeah, you do have to stop and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, but it's a, it's a sensitivity to the work of the Holy Spirit that it's constantly on your mind. I'm not separated from the Holy Spirit at any moment because He lives in me, so I can always ask Him to help me no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, no matter how the situation looks ahead of me, no matter who's in my presence, I can always ask the Holy Spirit to help me, and I have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm constantly asking for the Holy Spirit, constantly asking for more, constantly asking for His power to be poured out, constantly asking for His guidance. And it's my unawareness, insensitivity, or whatever you want to call that, that is my biggest problem. Okay? I need Him. I need Him constantly. And we can depend on Him constantly. So here's the other part of this. I says, do this, don't do this. Well, here's the don't do this part. There are three specific passages in Scripture that tell us that we can actually go against the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, who is he talking to? He says, you're sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? You're a believer. You're saved. You have the Holy Spirit. And then he, But he's also saying, you can grieve the Holy Spirit who's in you. So, there are things that you do, think, say that causes the Holy Spirit to be like, I'm not good with that. And you can ignore the Holy Spirit and you can actually squelch the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the other ones. Acts 7.51 says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen, about to be killed because he just said that, um, is talking to the religious people who knew God, had, had God's word. The Holy Spirit is actually moving and working throughout Israel's history, and they resisted him. Isn't it terrifying to, to understand that a human being can resist the Holy Spirit to the point of their own damnation? They can resist. They can ignore. They can, they can sit in a church service like this one, hear a message like this one, and sit there and say, I don't want what you're offering. And the Holy Spirit is poking at you, prodding at you, trying to open your mind, and you're like, I don't want it. I'm resisting the Holy Spirit. And here's what I was always taught. I don't 
see it explicitly laid out in Scripture this way, but here's what I was taught. God is not a bully. He's a gentleman. He invites you to salvation. He invites you into a relationship with himself. He invites you to receive all the good things that he has for you, but he doesn't make you receive them. He doesn't shove them down your throat. He won't force you kicking and screaming into heaven. He just says, here's my invitation. I made you in my image. Okay, God's calling all of us to account. I made you in my image. You have the moral accountability, agency. You decide. Here's the invitation. You want to reject it? That's on you. He's clearly telling you, why do we resist? What in us thinks that there's something better than God in our life? It's kind of a mystery. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this relationship that we have with him is a fire burning. We need to pour oil on it, not water. How do you pour the oil on the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit? Again, you're in agreement. You're sensitive to what he's leading. You're responding to him. When he convicts you of sin, you say, God, I'm sorry. And you turn from that sin and you turn back into your relationship with the Lord. That's pretty much the basis of it. Okay? How we quench the Holy Spirit is we say, I want to do what I want to do. I have a... A pretty good relationship with my wife. And um, here's what I know for sure. If I and Molly had a disagreement about something and I said, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do what I want to do, then that pretty good relationship is going to turn pretty bad pretty fast. Would you agree? Okay. Anybody have a marriage or a relationship with anybody where you can say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you think. And your opinion does not matter. And that relationship is still going to be good. How do we think that we can do that with God? But that's what we do. We we defy him. We disobey him. We rebel against him. And we expect him to just be all good with it. And he's saying, this is a relationship. I need you to listen. I need you to hear. I need you to understand. I need you to respond. I need you to repent. I need you to come to this place where we're talking to each other. If you don't understand something that God's saying or you don't agree with something that God's saying, here's the best thing that you should do. Just don't do anything. Okay? Go back and study. Go back and pray. Go back and figure it out. Go back and, like, okay, God, I won't make this defiant move against you I'll at least give you the benefit of the doubt that for some reason, whatever you're saying is correct, I'm just not sure why. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to keep digging, talk to some wise people, get some good counsel, pray some more. At least do that. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't douse the work of the Holy Spirit with the water of rebellion. Okay. Last Section, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We usually talk about this in like these concentric rings, you know, how evangelism works. It starts at home and it goes out to your community and to your nation, to the world, and that's all fine. There's no no problem with that. Uh, What I want to really dig into for just a moment is the issue of witnessing that here's something that you have to understand. The courtroom scene has changed. Remember you were on trial? Anybody remember that part? But you were proclaimed justified. Now you shift to the witness stand. That's why the Bible says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not on trial anymore. Okay? You're a witness. You get to proclaim who God is. You get to let people know that I have tasted and I have seen and I have received the goodness of God and I'm just going to proclaim that to people. I'm going to let them know who God is because of what he's done in my life. First Thessalonians, nope, Romans eight sixteen. 
says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you get that? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's what's going on. When the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in your life and you respond by saying yes to him, then he confesses with you that you are his child, that you are God's child, that you are saved, that you are confident in where you're going to go when you die. You don't have to convince yourself. It's not like trying to really psych yourself up to go to heaven, okay? The Holy Spirit does that in you. Now, let me say it this way. 21 years ago, Molly and I had a beautiful wedding ceremony, okay? We had a moment in time when in the state of Kansas, we signed all the documents. We got the legal papers. We had the pastors, Molly's dad, my dad, officiate a a wedding ceremony. We exchanged vows. That was a wedding, okay? But that's not a marriage. We point back to that, and we're like, that was a great day. We have a legal document that says that we are officially married, and that's a wonderful thing. But that's not a, a marriage. A marriage is what we do in day in, day out. We talk to each other. We under, try to understand each other. We forgive each other. We relate to each other. We figure out life together. That's the relationship. That's a marriage. And what you have to understand as a Christian, I, I hope you understand this, is that what you're witnessing to is not the initial confession that I believe in Jesus, or I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I hope that you have. And you're not confessing just that you were baptized one day in the church and before all these people as a proclamation of your faith, which is a wonderful thing, and everybody should do that. But what you're witnessing, too, is the reality of the relationship that you have with God on a daily basis. That's discipleship. It's that every day, day in, day out, I relate to God, I'm hearing from God, I'm responsive to God, I'm sensitive to Him, to His leading, and so I'm confessing that I know Him. I know Him. Not that we just have this covenant thing that happened back here at some point in my life, but I have a daily personal relationship with Him. That's what I confess. That's what the church is about. Whatever else we do, I mean... If it's not that, then we're missing something. Would you agree? We can get as many people as will line up and dunk them in the baptismal. Listen, we'll, we'd love to do that. But that's not what we're really after. What we're after is every day you and God have a relationship. And then you take that relationship into your home. You take that relationship into your workplace. You take that relationship into your public life, into your private life. And that's what we're witnessing. That people see, I know God. I know Him. Amen? Father, we thank You that we can know You. That's the power of what You offer, that we are transformed, we are renewed, that we are different, that we are set apart, called, given a purpose, and we give You all the glory. We thank You that we can do that. What an amazing thing it is to know you. Lord, I, I know, I know that there are people that right now or their hearts are encouraged because they've just been confirmed that what they've believed and what they've experienced, what they know is true. And that makes them stronger. And there are those right now who are feeling the distance. Whether they're believers or not, they, they feel there's something missing. And Lord, I thank you that you're the teacher and you're the power. So I'm, I'm just going to ask if I can agree with you in this, Holy Spirit, that you would take that distance, whatever gap there may be, and would you close it Would you fill it with yourself and bring those people close to you? 
and a simple act of faith and a simple response of agreement, whether it's the first time or it's the first time in a while, Lord, would you respond to that cry of the heart that says, I need you. And we trust you. We know that, we, that you will fulfill your promise. You will save. You will forgive anyone who calls on your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're willing to do that. You're able to do that, that you promised that you would do that. Help us to stand firm on that promise for your glory, for our sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, week after week, um, we're just commissioning different groups of people, and uh, we've commissioned several different groups, students and teachers and grandparents, and I want to commission this morning uh, all the parents with kids at home. If you have children living under your roof, would you stand so that I, I would just pray a blessing over you, pray God's peace and power and presence in your home, uh, his strength, his encouragement for you as you continue to do what um, is so important. Living an authentic Christian life for your kids to see. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for these parents. They've come here today to hear from you. Lord, I pray that they have. I pray that your word is spoken to them. That they would find the strength and the encouragement they need to continue to do what, what they know they need to do, which is love their kids. Love them in such a way that they'll see Christ in them. Love them in such a way that their kids can have an easy on-ramp to faith. Protect them from harm. Protect them from difficulties that distract sin that entangles, disagreements that divide. Lord, would you bond, if they're married, Lord, into a, a wonderful, heartfelt intimacy with one another in their marriage, Lord, that their kids can see an example of what it looks like for their own life. Lord, I pray for any forgiveness that needs to happen to begin to happen. I pray for you to remove any darkness from the homes that needs to be removed, sin that's blocking. Lord, I pray that you would just take it out, call it out, remove it, and Father, replace it with grace and love and purity and goodness for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing this morning. I just invite you, as we always do, respond to the Lord as he's calling you. Amen.